Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's see, I think we need another piece of duct tape. Sorry, we're duct taping our thing duct tape. in here. <laughs> Monica can duct exactly. tape. I can duct tape people. That's... Um, uh, I don't know that I just did anything. That's okay. But we're jerry rigging our interview here. <laughs> All right, we're starting. All right, Monica, I'm here with Monica Lewinsky. Monica, welcome to Sway. Thanks. Hi, Kara. So I just want to say the backdrop here <laughs> is Monica and I are in the jankiest studio in West Hollywood. It smells like pot, it's where Snoop Dogg does things clearly mm-hmm. um and the microphone is taped uh, it, it's just yellow duct tape yellow duct tape into a diamond candelabra it's if we sound funny during this entire interview you know what happened which is ne- not necessarily a good thing because it's like the new york times and you expect it to be the highest <laughs> level and now we're getting high in west hollywood in any case there's so many things to talk about we're going to talk about technology we're going to talk about your documentary on shame but I want to talk about the FX show first, because I think it's where you've gotten a lot of attention lately. Beanie Feldstein plays you. You were a producer on it. There's been a lot of series about the Clintons, very few about you. This one is different. Tell me why you wanted to be involved. The um, American Crime Story Impeachment is really tracking three different women's perspectives right. from 1998. And there are three women, including myself, who were in the margins of power. Right. at that time. And I think that we rarely see, I mean, certainly the history books from that time period are written by men and the perspective is usually shaped by men. So with the show, you know, Ryan had this perspective. Coming, this Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy's perspective coming into this. And what was intriguing to me was the idea of looking at this story through different lenses. So my story is a narrative in the 10-part series, but it's not the only narrative. Odd fact, Ryan Murphy and I were interns at the Washington Post. Oh. He was the world's worst intern at the Washington Post. I think, oh, at the Washington Post. I think I sort of probably took the title of the world's worst intern. I just can't believe I said that. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, he was. Actually, if I'm going to stack, thank you. All right. Um, So what was it like seeing someone playing you? It's bizarre. I mean, Beanie is a an extraordinary young woman. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think it was shortly before Ryan and I had dinner to talk about the show and sort of seal the deal, I had seen Booksmart. Right. And there were moments in Booksmart, even though Beanie was playing a senior in high school, there were moments where I just felt, God, there's something about her that reminds me of me. There's a certain age where you're just becoming an adult and you think you fucking know everything. Right. And you think you're ready to take the world on. And you don't. Of course, right. you don't really understand consequence. I mean, we're, of course, responsible for our actions at that age. Right. But I think that there was a humor to her, but a sadness. Yeah. And um, she sort of seem to be able to portray in different characters I've seen her of just that 
that thing we see of, right, smart women making dumb choices. Yeah. So. One of the things that I think people don't understand about you as well is how funny you are. Oh, thank um, you. And people have a narrative around them. Mm-hmm. When you thought about doing this, though, it's the way you want to be portrayed, correct? Well, it's, I think, yes. I think, um, you know, this has been a huge learning curve for me because I had never been involved in mm-hmm. a dramatic series before. So. Right. I think the tango for me of understanding emotional truth and dramatic license and how you can't take several years of time and when you condense it into a 10-hour episode, mm-hmm. you know, understanding what that means, understanding how you have to make all the pieces of the puzzle work. And there were, you know, there were a lot of things that I think are incredible about the show. There are some things that I wish were a little different. So did you have creative control or veto power? No. No, I, I had no creative control. Um, I felt very listened to. I was able to give notes on everything. I'm sure I gave far more notes than anybody would have yeah. ever wanted. Yeah, you know, and in in all ways, I mean, Ryan has creative control of his projects, and he he definitely listened to me. Right. But being listened to and being heard doesn't always mean you get your way. Right. Now, one of the things you said is you felt that you shouldn't get a pass because you're a producer. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, Meaning portraying you not as an angel or right. A I mean, look, I'm a flawed person. I'm I'm a good person. I think I'm a kind person, but flawed. I make mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes when I was younger. I still make all sorts of different kinds of mistakes as an adult. Um, Although Monica, no one's quite paid for their youthful <sighs> mistakes as you have. I think that's very true. I, I lost. It was a very high price. I lost a lot. Yeah. Um. Not just then, but the long shadow of the repercussions, Mm -hmm. you know, will have forever impacted how I was able to move forward in some ways. it completely defined you in a way that was indelible in a lot of ways. Um, But let's keep talking about the show for a second. Right. So just to answer your question, look, there are so many mistakes I made in that time period that I wish I could erase Mm -hmm. and I wish didn't have to be in the show. But I think particularly because I was a producer and because I wanted people to see the truth of a lot of these stories and what happened it was obvious to me when I got a script that didn't have this one incident, you know, this like, I very clumsily flirted, I'm not a very good flirt. And uh, I very clumsily like did this thing with my with my thong underwear and showed an inch of it. It's a whole yeah. big long thing. Yeah, I and, recall. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and that wasn't in the script. And my first reaction was like, yes. That's amazing. Great. I don't want to have to go over the tropes. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about it, I realized, you know, if this isn't in here, people are not going to trust the show. They're not going to trust all of us as producers and storytellers. And I shouldn't get a pass. And I recognize that that was important as much as I wish it didn't have to be in there. Right. I'm astonished that I know this fact. It's really (laughs) kind of gross. So I'd love to go through this in a very quick way, sort of a lightning round. Mm-hmm. Your favorite moment on the show, did you have one? I do. It's um, it, it's a little bit of a spoiler alert. That's but, okay. Um, people so know I, the story. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know what? I think people are surprised by how much they think they know and then how much yeah. they're learning. Like even me, my yeah. margin notes, did this really happen? Um, but uh, so there's a moment in episode six, which is the FBI sting, which is yeah. how I found out about the investigation. And there's... Um, it's making me emotional. Um, there's a moment where in the Creighton Barrel, where um, Monica is with the FBI agents in the middle of this, you know, horrendous 12, 13-hour day. And um, 
there was this feeling of, it, it sounds crazy, but it was this feeling like somebody would be able to look at me and they would be able to sense that I was, I would like mental telepathy, help me, right? help me, I'm in trouble, help yeah. me, you know? And so there's this moment where Beanie, as Monica, looks at the salesperson and she just nailed that moment. Right, which is get me out of here. Which is help, yeah. I need help. It's, everything is not okay. Yeah. Was that the most difficult moment for you to revisit? No, there was sort of an irony for me around the episodes, and I've only seen one to seven so far, where, you know, the dual hats of subject and producer, where I left and I'm shattered because I'm so triggered. Right. And it's like, oh, God, this is so hard. And then the producer in me is like, God, this is great. It's yeah. great that I'm right. triggered. Right. Like, if right. I'm triggered, it means the emotional truth has been captured and people right. are going to really experience this. And so um, there were a lot in, it is so, Kara, it's so hard. It's so hard to watch, you know, quote unquote, myself, like making stupid mistakes. Like you just think, right. you know, don't smile back. Don't say that. Don't flirt. Walk away. Be shy. And then also with Linda Tripp, it's a split screen for me in my lived experience of mm -hmm. the flashback of what actually happened and the flashback of what I'm watching, but I now know more, you know? So that is, it's it's really challenging. You know, it was very challenging to see. And, and you know, every time I do something connected to this story, it sort of allows me another layer of healing. I think it's just been, you know, shame is not something that just goes away. No. It clears in layers. And so I've had to really work hard to just try to forgive myself more. Well, you're not allowed to leave it behind as other people are. Yeah. You know, or bury it very deeply. So what was a, a moment that was relieving or affirming? Um. Episode seven, I saw just reading it. I think that they did an incredible job of capturing the first few weeks of what it's like to go from being a completely private person who didn't want to be a public person. Mm -hmm. I did everything within my power, including signing a false affidavit for this to not become public. I mean, obviously, it became public because I stupidly confided in somebody and and it became public because I engaged in it. <laughs> so, I mean, but um, I think people will be surprised to understand and to see what it's like on the other side of the double-sided mirror. Right. What does it feel like to see yourself on TV? Right. Your character spends part of that episode on the couch watching TV coverage of the scandal. Mm -hmm. uh, the coverage is brutal. I remember it. Yeah, um, me too. At the time, I thought it was brutal. Thank you. Uh, I got a sense... This probably was the worst part for you, is seeing this happen, you becoming a trope, mm -hmm. a character, a reductiveness. The reductiveness that exists today, to me, began Oh yeah. then. And yeah. then I think, too, there's, you know, something I couldn't see until I was much older was the famous finger-wagging scene. Yeah. Of a scene. I call it a scene. As yeah. if, you know, yeah. it's like, it was it a was moment. It was a scene, Monica. It was a scene. And... In the moment at the time, I mean, I was so, I mean, I was so young. I was so traumatized. I still had these feelings. It's right. not like everything had been over with right. Bill. Right. And so I still naively loved him. And I was glad at first because I thought, oh, good. He can save his job. I didn't want him to lose his job in part for him. And I think in part, some part of me just thought, I don't know that I could live 
if I really am responsible for all of this shattering. But Monica, there's there is Bill Clinton. <laughs> I know. No, no, I know that yeah. now. That yeah. was me. That was me at yeah. 24. Okay. That was me at 24. But what I also see now, and I think we see this, and this is where it's it's very interesting and in weaving into more of today's stories too, is that he he laid out the game plan. He signed posted for everybody. That woman. I did not have sex with that woman. Right. And that was it. He was going to deny it, and I was fair game. Were you surprised? Um, naively, I was. Part of me yeah. was. I mean, it. Um, Sheila Nevins once said something really interesting to me. Some version of, it's impossible to imagine other people doing things that you yourself could never do. And so um, I think that it was, he knew me. Right. You know, so it was one thing for people who knew of me, maybe who worked in the White House, but he knew me right. as a person. Um, and and I get it, you know, politics is the oxygen, his oxygen. So many people would absolutely run over their mothers if they needed to. That's what, you know. Yeah, yeah, there is yeah. A type well, of person it, yes, who does that. particularly in D.C. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so there's a scene where, speaking of mothers, the character of your mom tries to get you to turn off the TV mm-hmm. and you won't let her. Um, it's it's funny. My friends and I talk about this a lot now with social media around self-harming. Right. You know, where it's sort of like, don't look at the new girlfriend's yeah. <laughs> Instagram. Right. It's just self-harm, you know, right. don't, don't look. And I think that there was an element of self-harm there for me. Mm-hmm. But more than that is, I had no fucking idea what was happening. Right. You know, I would have to watch the news. You know, most people forgot this or didn't know. All of my friends who knew, who were also 24, were dragged before the grand jury. And I wouldn't know who was going until I'd see on TV that morning and just sort of think, okay, I hope I didn't say anything about them on the tapes that they'll never talk to me again. And so it was my source of information. Right. But you you also couldn't, it's like looking at an accident, but you are in the accident. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, I don't know if this is everybody. I'm someone for whom information feels safe. Nobody does well in uncertainty. I do really poorly in uncertainty. Right. And so I think there was a part of me that also thought the more information I have, like I could be strategic. You know, how do I think about this? And I don't know whom I can trust. Yeah. The other part of it is that, I know this sounds funny, but you were besides the point once yeah. it got out. Yeah. You hardly mattered no. in, in what it was. You became a trope, mm-hmm. a narrative. A yeah, tool, it was one-dimensional. A tool for either side, which was yeah. really interesting. Well, and it's I think that that's too, and and that the Clintons had the left, Linda Tripp and Paula Jones had the right, and I had nobody. I mean, I had my family, thank God. Right. But I mean, in terms of a public narrative, I think, you know, and, and that's kind of one way where social media may have been helpful. I don't know. But um, the only way I heard from people was either they mailed me a letter, they made a comment somewhere online, or they had something that was attention-grabbing enough that they could get into the paper. Like, I know from my friends that people would initially, when they were asked for comment, if they said something nice, it didn't make it anywhere. Nobody was interested to hear that I was a decent person. Even still today, sometimes people will say, if someone finds out that we're friends. I want to get to that later. You have mega fans, especially women. Who do oh. not know you, but at the time you you were caught yeah. and not willing to pull aside no. the way that others did, like yeah. Paula Jones. 
who I found great poignancy in her portrayal. Anna Lee Ashford. Yeah, she does an incredible job. That is an incredible thing. And it's, it's, you know, I think we're finally at a point, you know, hopefully where both sides are saying she never should have been invited up to that hotel room. Full stop. Right. There is nothing else to say. Well, it's that she had to find refuge in the right. Yeah. So talk about this. So much of the Clinton scale you mentioned has been originally written by men like Ken Starr. Mm -hmm. This show is written by a woman, Sarah Burgess. Mm -hmm. It's the women who are at the center of the story. You, Linda Tripp, Paula Jones. Why is that important from your perspective? Obviously, I found great uh, empathy for Paula Jones Mm -hmm. and Linda Tripp. Yep, me as well. What I think this allowed us to do, and Sarah Burgess did do a great job, is um, I think that the first thing that went out the door in 1998 was the truth, and the second was context, you know, and there's no nuance. And we were all women who were thrust into the spotlight underneath a political film, Harshin, and we were all reduced. We were all reduced in different ways to serve purposes for other people, for either political points or to make money. Right. And so I think that everybody working on the show felt that humanity is what we want people to walk away with, this understanding of humanity for all these people. How do you uh, think about Linda Tripp now? Um... It's complicated for me because I had a very bizarre thing happen. I started to do a really deep and intense sort of spiritual work maybe 13 years ago, which I still do. Yeah. And I never set out to sort of forgive her or let go of the bile. But one day something happened and I realized I, I'm not carrying around that bile yeah. around her. I don't get that indigestion. and. You know, it just, I think there are times she's popped up, things she said. I mean, she's passed away now. So there's no version of me that understands why she did what she did. Her narrative of that she was trying to help me, I think there are myriad ways that she could have done that, that if that were true, she would have done. Well, she was seeking relevance. She had been shuttled aside. Exactly. She was one of those very Washington people Mm -hmm. that are at the center of things but really aren't important. Mm -hmm. She had no power. And this gave her power by stepping on you. Right. Or using you, really. Right. Which which is a very Washington thing to do. Right. And it only brought her shame, which is... Right. I mean, she gave a speech a few years ago at a... Um, oh, gosh, what's the word? Uh, see, the pot's getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all not, planned, Monica. I know. Whistleblower. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she gave a speech this at... It's called Hot Box Sway. Yeah. <laughs> um, So, Linda, I think the tragedy for her really was that she didn't have the self-awareness to recognize exactly what you just said. And so she had to couch it in all of these other terms that just really don't add up. You know, I read an interview that her daughter gave to Vanity Fair after the first episode remarking on, you know, that Sarah had captured and and both Sarah's, so Sarah Burgess in the script and Sarah Paulson on screen had captured Linda's intelligence and her wit. And she had both of those things. Mm -hmm. And she was a dynamic spot in a place that, you know, the Pentagon is so different from the White House. Everything is kind of this bland, fluorescent, light, colored, gray, khaki. And here I am, you know, raised in Beverly Hills, went to college in Portland, Oregon. The White House internship is a pit stop on my way to grad school. You know, I did not fit in at the yeah, Pentagon. You're both exiles is really what happened. Yeah, is how exactly. You met each other. Right. Mm-hmm. So, are you 
I'm not saying forgive Linda Tripp, but did you feel satisfied with this portrayal of her? Um, yeah, I think, you know, look, it was complicated for me. I think there were times, in all honesty, some of my script notes, some some were looked at, some were, were not, where I felt there was too much sympathy. Yeah. But then there were also times where, you know, I had to kind of have a talk with myself <laughs> and sort of say, you know, I don't need to worry about that. I need yeah. to worry about, you know, what's my truth and what's here and let people judge me for me. And I have to try to focus on something higher, Yeah, you know, a higher purpose. Like, yes, of course, there are all sorts of selfish reasons I, I participated. Right. But then there is also a really important reason for me around moving the conversation of this forward, right. ensuring that something like this doesn't happen to a young person again, that if they are taken advantage of, you know, 70 Five percent of the blame should be on the person in power, right? You know, I would not, say more like ninety. Monica. Okay, ninety percent. Ninety percent. In this case, be. I'm giving it a ninety-nine. Actually, okay. and um, well, you know, I, I may be okay. I, let's how about eighty-five? Eighty-five and fifty. You're being so. kind. Um, your life has been so derailed by what happened between you and Bill Clinton. How do you feel about the fact that your life has been so altered and his has not, in a lot of ways? Um. You know, I've had moments of bitterness about it, but um, how I feel now is I don't, I don't really need anybody else's life to be fucked up. I just need people to not stand in my way. You know, I, I think where it is important, you know, my background is in psychology and social psychology. And so when I, I'm always stepping back to look at the bigger picture, right. and when I look at the bigger picture where I see it as problematic is what does it mean for society? Like, what would it have meant if he had stepped down? What would it have meant if he had been meted a, a punishment that was appropriate at the time for something like that? Would that have then ended up changing history in different ways? Or or we see now, too. I mean, when the news came out about Ken Starr being so involved with Epstein, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, the two most powerful men from 1998 in this too. investigation, Clinton and Starr, and they're both tied to Epstein. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, I'm not in any way drawing a parallel between what Epstein did with these young women and what happened between Bill and myself. But I think that the fact that these two men could then ride along on their power mm -hmm. and end up there, that shows us something, you know? And also, too, I think people of a certain age and a certain stature, they end up um, not changing, not being forced to change. And that's, that's the, the irony of, of where I was lucky that right. I was the youngest and least powerful is because the huh. only way forward for me eventually was I had to do, I, I hate saying the phrase, I had to do the work on myself. I had to evolve. Right. Yeah. But that's why I'm curious. Did the, did the Republicans approach you to speak out against the Clintons? I've had, I have had outreach. Especially and, during the Hillary campaign. You did not. I did I've not. I've always been struck by this. I did not. Yeah. All the others did. It's, um, first of all, I, no matter who was more at fault, I was engaged in something in any time in my life when I'm engaged in any kind of behavior that causes pain to other people, I regret that. So I just, it's just, it's just not my way. I'm just not yeah. vindictive that way. Right. And not to say that those women are vindictive. They have every right to have their, their own feelings. That's just not my path. Yeah. But it's interesting. There was um, the ladies at The View were yeah. thrashing me. You know, and, and I hear this a lot. It's, a, you know, and if, look, fair game. If I, I'm doing things, people get to say what they want All to right. say. But the thing is, is like this idea of making any kind of money on a past history. We never talk Are you about. Kidding me? But we never talk about what people turn down. Right. You know, the 
millions and millions and millions of dollars because Tell I just didn't, yeah, yeah, I just didn't think it was right. That just wasn't right for me. I don't want to, you know, pass judgment on anyone else. It wasn't right for me. I always wanted to just, which thankfully I have more of now. I just wanted to be seen for my true self. Yeah. You know, so. Why shouldn't you tell your story in a factual, classy way? So I. I, I don't under, even understand right. that. I think that there's, um, I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not. I think our political like our political views are sort of our most salient aspects of our identity. I mean, maybe maybe gender, you yeah. know, or sex, but I think they're up there. And because it was sort of this mix of sex and politics and um, and it was the first baby boomer president, yeah. so there were just so many different things. And there were your attacks on the Clintons, the actual right-wing attacks. Yeah. I am certain that you would be able to find a day in history where you had— Paula Jones being attacked for various things, probably her looks, Linda Tripp being attacked, the same things, Hillary Clinton being attacked for the same things, myself being attacked for the same things. Like misogyny, you know, has no party, <laughs> no party loyalty. Yeah. So very, very. um, and I and I think that that is um I think that we've gone a far, far away from what politics should be. Right. There's also women attacking each other, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I interviewed Hillary Clinton in 2018, I asked her if she wanted a do-over of the comments she made you. Privately, I was more strong. I thought it was wrong, and you deserved an apology. Um, she wasn't able to do it on stage. She got close, and we had a very thoughtful talk about it. Um, but do you think that pitting her against you has been one of the most disturbing of all the narratives? I, I Or are you against Linda Tripp? Right. I, I agree. I think that... Um, I still think she owed you an apology, but go ahead. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe this you owe her a, one, too. I, I do owe her. I, I you know, I publicly yes, apologized, and were I to have the chance privately, I would do so, too. I think that this is part of woman versus woman is part of... It's one of the playbooks in the patriarchy, you right. know, in the, in, and so I think that it is some of the worst ways, but we do it. We do it to ourselves. We'll be back in a minute. This podcast is supported by LinkedIn. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash marketer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. My name is Thomas Gibbonsnap. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, fueled roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people 
thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. Let me get to your documentary, 50 Minutes of Shame. And one of the things that I thought was most important was a review of this show, Impeachment, which said, in the show, you can see a lot of seeds of what is happening now with the media picking apart with an emphasis on sexual politics and extreme partisanship. Can you make that link to now? Because this is what you're talking about yeah. in this documentary. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're kind of asking these two questions of how did we get here and where are we going? And the how did we get here part is what really fascinates me. We can see this thread from when shame started to become monetized, when it went from being out of the town square onto the printing press. And then, you know, you add in things like Rupert Murdoch and tabloids and the tabloid culture started to infect every area of mm-hmm. our life. And this could have ended with Princess Diana's death. She was killed by the paparazzi chasing her. The paparazzi were chasing her because they make money from the tabloids, yeah, from yeah. the photos, right? So there was this moment where we could have pivoted and we didn't as a society. And so what happened then is all of a sudden, the crash of all of these cultural things with 24-hour news and the competition that had started to happen with 24-hour news and the internet. And so I think that that's what that meant is that the storylines were louder and were around longer. We also were starting to see with the internet right around there blogging. And so people who were non-experts who normally wouldn't be published had a public platform. Right, And you had done this TED Talk where you said, as far as the culture of public humiliation goes, what we need is a cultural revolution. Public shaming as a blood sport has to stop. It's time for the intervention on the internet and in our culture. The shift begins with compassion and empathy. Online, we've got a compassion deficit, an empathy crisis. It's worse, Monica. So you, this is very prescient what you talked about. Thank you. Um, I'm in the documentary, by the you way. You are. I, I talk about You're it. You're amazing. It's a 90-minute doc. So yeah. we could have done a 90-minute doc just on just your me interview. Just saying, fuck you, Facebook, right? No. Essentially. <laughs> that's, really, that's really pretty much my jam these days. But, um, but You're not alone. You were talking about this in the TED Talk. Mm-hmm. It has gotten worse. It has. I think that what we've seen is a proliferation of siloed information and viewpoints. We've seen a proliferation of people learning to game the system, right? So how to use the internet for misinformation, disinformation, and and chaos. And I think Which is the point. Which is exactly the point. But what has happened is, you know, we're in this culture of humiliation now, and along with attention and outrage, public shaming, piling on people, doxing, all of the different things that can happen to tear someone apart online. Right. They all make people money. Right. Um, so you said our cult- in the document you wrote, our culture is drowning in something shame. I want to understand why. Do you think you have an answer to that question? Uh, no, I don't have a definitive answer to that because right. I don't think it's one thing. It's not just tech. You know, there are the laws. There's also human behavior. You know, so and I think we need to start having this conversation a little more, I don't know if holistically is the right word, but when we're talking about these things, it is to be cognizant of all of the different things that are at play. So I think the first place we can start is 
the place nobody really wants to start, and that's with us. Right. You know, and I, I have to do it myself. I mean, one of the things that you talk about, which I really like because I feel the same way and I try really hard to follow it, is sort of the difference between dissenting about someone's opinion and picking them apart for their looks. Right. You right. know, and— um, so I'm the only person who protects Mark Zuckerberg when he puts on the well, correct sunscreen. Right. Gun. But I mean, I'm the same. And I yeah. didn't, you know, I wouldn't retweet pictures of Trump and his, whatever, his golf outfits or his pants. Yeah. Or his pants. Because I just thought, this isn't the real stuff to go after someone. So, so when you think about how this has evolved, one of the things you were asking for in that speech at TED is compassion and empathy needs to return. Mm-hmm. Again, it's only gotten Worse, right? I guess. Why do you think that is? Um, I think probably because, in my view, from my political perspective, we took a pretty sharp turn. So my talk was 2015. We took a pretty sharp turn in 2016, and I think that the way politics unfurled for that election, and the way the internet was used, I think it became something different. Trolls became something different. Troll farms became something different. Internet misinformation. Isn't that just an amplification of what happened to you when you were watching those television shows? Yes. I Yeah. You know, I mean, I went on the Drudge Report every day in 1998, too. Right. It was integral to getting out. By the way, Billy Eichner plays Matt Drudge. Doesn't he do a brilliant job? And Colby Smulders plays... uh, Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. And boy, you really do understand the power. Because the internet is what got that out. Mm -hmm. I think it was the first time traditional news was usurped by the internet. Right. You know, so... In a major uh, news story. Right. And then when the Star Report came out, it was the first time that you missed history being made if you didn't have access to the internet. Right. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating— I wonder what your scandal would have been like had there been social media. Whether, Like you said, whether you would have had more power or I, they would have. Right. I don't know. Here, one thing I do know, I mean, I don't know that it's the right context in which I would have been judged, but what would have existed is rather than going to my high school yearbook page to see what did I put in my stupid collage, you know, you might have seen more aspects of who I was as a person that people would have been able to anchor. They would have seen that I was funny back then. Yeah. Um, That was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) But But, yeah, or just, you know, my level of intelligence or or what was I interested in or, or not even level of intelligence, but that I wasn't a dumb bimbo. You would have also had power. I, I, I might have. I don't know. I might yeah. have. I think what it also would have meant is that the kind of loose rules that I had to live under in 98, why I couldn't speak for myself, had right. to do with legal aspects. And that, that that just doesn't even exist anymore. Right. You said the internet might have allowed you to speak for yourself back in 98. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you might have said if you had spoken for yourself. Oh, gosh. Um, I think if we we— Lived in that world. I'm trying to think now. I try really hard to be honest. My social media, like that authenticity yeah. is really important right now, to me. Yeah. You're very kind on social media, I have to say. I'm. Uh, thank you. I, um, I'm not sure that's a compliment. I think <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd be a lot meaner. You're a weak bitch on Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, You're not weak. You're very kind. I, 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 I can be, I can be a such a bit I have to slap Don't people worry. for you, for uh, Maggie Aberman, yeah, for Hillary Clinton. I have to slap people for a lot of people. Well, you're you're um you're principled. Thank right. you. So what's been the impact of Trump? You said something turned into was it Trump or Trump's ability to misbehave I think it, and the text 
platforms doing nothing. Right. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it was the divisiveness of the two candidates and what it meant, and that we had a woman running for the highest office in the land. And and I think that Trump knew how to use the internet. And but I, he's using the way that this documentary... Right, exactly. So going to your point, I think we were all of a sudden in a new territory. And I think that the platforms don't act fast enough. Right. You know, there's a lot of good, there's a beauty and a beast quality sure. right, to the internet. And I think we see that in this documentary where, you know, I mean, the beast part of it in the doc are people who, you know, some people will know their story and they'll come to understand a totally different part huh. of their story. Right. But um, you also see sort of, you know, where the beauty of it being used for, um, like, shaming for change. Yeah. You know, in a, in a positive You're saying way. it's both things. Net negative, net positive. When you think of the tech companies and what they've done, oh, how much blame do you put on them? I put a lot of blame. I don't put as much blame as maybe people who don't swim in this world at all. I know a lot of people who are in the different companies. I know they're trying different things. They're trying to roll things out. Um, and I have respect for some of them. What I think is problematic is that they are not prioritizing what they should be prioritizing. Safety. Exactly. Safety. Particularly for women, marginalized groups. And that is where for me, it's a little less binary, and I kind of just go, we all know we could have something better right now. Right. We all know that could exist. Right. So I don't know why it's not happening, but trying to get there. I mean, and I agree with you, you know, in your comments around Section 230 around, it's like, I think if we just, again, in the binary, either keep it or get rid of it, we're never going to get anywhere. Right. And that we should start, you know, by evolving it in smart ways. But so I guess the thing is with tech is that, I don't even know anymore if we can say, is it better with or without? Because it's here. I mean, so I, it's the I, oxygen. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a great quote, um, everyone deserves a voice, but not everybody deserves a microphone. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are ways that our social media should be should be catering to that in a sense. Well, Instagram and just paused Instagram kids. Yes. I think there it would be very challenging to be a young person growing up today. Toxic. Right, especially for teen girls. I mean, Anderson Cooper did this great documentary a few years ago where they had access to 13-year-olds' social media and phones. And um, this stat stayed with me. And it was that 13-year-olds that they looked at would take 150 pictures for one selfie that they'd post. And what gutted me with that was this idea of what's the negative self-talk in the 149 that you were like, oh no, I nope, got to take another one. This looks bad here. And, you know, how much harder it makes it to not judge your insides by other people's outsides. Right. I think we look at this bigger picture of technology too. And this is where I think the platforms are failing is it's, we prioritize being first instead of being right. Right. And so what happens is, you know, if you think about for the longest time, there were certain techniques that people could do for a photograph that was in a magazine, right? right. What a touch-up was. And then along came Photoshop. But yep. you know Photoshop, right? You had to have a certain level of skill. Like, here you can just... Right. And now it. you have a filter. So, I mean, you see this thread of what happens through technology. And it's like, we have to get better. Do you, do you see any solutions? 
I know you keep saying empathy. I know, kindness. which I do think is is a solution. I mean, look, I don't have this Pollyanna view that sort of all of a sudden everybody's going to wake up tomorrow and be right. kind on the internet. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it happens incrementally. And those incremental shifts actually cause more seismic shifts. Okay. Or, or things like, why can we not slow down the tsunami? When something starts to trend that should trigger a bell of this person is not a public person, I'm not saying anybody's voice should be taken away, but why can't we slow down the yeah. rate at which those tweets start pelting at somebody? Because we we often don't have context. We often don't have yeah. all the facts. We don't have the nuance, like the three-day rule, you know, this idea around maybe we should just be quiet for three days until things come out, <laughs> you know? I mean, I know. Yeah. Not going to happen. But still, it's about getting attention. And one of so, the, the things that I thought was interesting was a review um, about your show. It does push viewers to reconsider a moment when media, partisanship, sexual politics, and celebrity took a hard turn to the reality we're living in today. Mm-hmm. I think you can draw a very bright line. Yes. And I'm not sure there is a solution because people liked it. People yeah. liked your story as entertainment, as and, fodder. And on top of it, they also like to say that they weren't interested. Right. Um, But I think that if there were a solution, as bright as I like to think I am, I'm probably not the person who's going to come up with it. Right. Okay. But you feel heartened. but But I feel that I see things all the time online where strangers are being kind to each other. And when you pause, when you do find the humanity... It's not going to solve everything, but it starts to move us towards a different place. The platform's becoming more responsible. I think this idea to me of the fact that somebody can have intimate video or photographs of themselves taken by someone else or taken without their knowledge even, put up on the internet where everybody can see it and people fucking make money from it, and that can't be taken down in two seconds, that's bullshit. And that is not okay for us to be living in a world where particularly it happens to women, that we should have one more thing we have to worry about and have lorded over us. Right, right. You know, it's just bullshit. It's just bullshit. So let me then end on this on cancel culture, because then you Mm -hmm. have people who say you shouldn't censor people. You shouldn't, Yeah, it's it's complicated. It's such a politically charged term. What do you think of cancel culture? I see the benefits and I see the detriments. And really my top feeling about it is that And this is how I feel about a lot of things, that they become a catch-all phrase. You know, we need to actually divide cancel culture up into what the pieces are. What are we talking about? Are we talking about a Me Too scenario where someone has been a sexual predator or abused their power? Are we talking about a scenario where it's a company? Are we talking about something that's been that's a racial issue? What are we talking about? Is it a misstep from somebody who actually rarely does anything like that? Is it something somebody said from a long time ago and they've evolved as a person? So we, we've we given this one term to all yeah. of these things and it doesn't work to have the same cycle of behavior yeah. for all those well, things. Reduced. Yeah, um, I call I call it accountability culture. Yeah, Roxanne, Roxanne Gay, Gay calls it, yeah, she yes, calls it consequence, calls it consequence culture. culture. And I think that there's a lot of truth there. I, I also think we, you know, that it's now a thing, like I see people debating like, was I canceled or not? You know, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, because it can be a public form of shaming zone. Right, it is. I mean, Maybe well, some people It definitely is. It, In some right, cases, And that's right. the thing. Yeah. It 100% is a form. Think about, you couldn't really have cancel culture without public humiliation and public shaming. Right. Well, who should um, arbitrate these nuances then? Because 
Twitter, like who's running Twitter? Nobody. It's sort of like the right. The inmates are yeah. Or or there's that perception that one person is sitting at the top deciding the algorithm. Right. I think Tristan Harris talks about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know the answer. I mean, I f- I feel like I know it seems like I should. No. I I think the truth is is that I think the problem is it's nuanced and people have made it reductive. Right. Exactly. Um, did you ever think you'd have gotten involved in this kind of debate? Like, from where you started? No. <laughs> I wanted to be a forensic psychologist, so right. I wanted to work for the FBI. I was really interested in criminal profiling. So I, I, so. I want to ask you just two more questions then. Okay. Um, what would be a surprising thing about you that people don't know, do you think? Oh, um, a few years ago, I would have said that, that I'm funny. Some would still be surprised that, like, I have a master's degree in social psychology. Um people might be surprised at how much work I do on myself, maybe. I, I, and I take it really seriously, healing and becoming a better person, if you will. I mean, certainly still flawed. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is a boring answer. So That's okay. Kara. No problem. Um, <laughs> that I'm boring. How's that? Boring. Okay. That's, that would might surprise no, people that people I'm boring. Surprised. I'm happier, you know, you know, you're cuddling a, on a couch, watching be, TV than no, out at a party. They, you're much classier broad than people <laughs> think. I think everyone in, in your entire story has behaved badly, most especially Bill Clinton, by the way, um, who could be canceled, in my opinion, in many ways. I don't know if you think that. But I do. I, I, I think, um, listen, I think he had an opportunity as an elder statesman when the conversation was changing to be somebody who could have taken responsibility and done things in a different way if he had evolved much. But, you know, I don't, I knew, I knew a small part of him and I mistakenly thought it was all of him. Yeah. And I don't know him and I haven't spoken to him in 20 plus years. Yeah. And so I don't know who he is today. I think many people should be ashamed of themselves. I know you talk about shame, but they should have been ashamed of how they behaved and continue to behave. And I think you're the only one who didn't throw anyone under the bus, which I think is very unusual. So I'm going to ask this last question. The name of your production company is Alt Ending. What would your alt ending be if you had to rewrite it? Oh, gosh. Um, I, again, back to the, maybe the boring or the banal, my alt ending would have been, I left my internship. I went to graduate school, got a PhD in forensic psychology, got married, had kids. Um, yeah. So you can still have all the endings, you know? Yes, I can. And I, this you know what? This one's a good one. I, um, I, I have had the last seven years for me have been nothing short of a fucking miracle. And so I feel like all right, well, if I've had one miracle, I could have another. So, um, and I have, as Pollyanna as my mom can be at times, um, I think she prefers sanguine, but uh, <laughs> she's always saying, you never know what or who is around the corner. You so, <laughs> so you don't? I know. Well, you can, you can look out for my next boyfriend. All right. <laughs> I know some people, but they're not going to be assholes. <laughs> You're not going to have a bad boyfriend. First, my therapist says, we just need to find you a kind narcissist who's a little less broken than some of the There'll others. There'll be no bad so. boyfriends for Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> no, I've dated gonna... some great guys. All right. I'm very lucky. I will see if I can do something about that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Kara.
Best Way is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Chick, Matt Kwong, Daphne Chen, and Caitlin O'Keefe. Edited by Naima Raza. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Sabaro, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Lyra Liga. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you by our worst intern, along with our new companion podcast, Hotbox Sway, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.